You're listening to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, your home for holistic, evidence-based cognitive enhancement strategies. And now your host, Eric Levi. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, where we discuss using nootropics, biohacking, and nutrition to help you boost your cognition. My name's Eric, and if it's your first time checking out the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button just underneath the YouTube video here. If you are listening on podcast audio form only, head on over to Apple Podcasts and remember to leave the podcast a five-star review. And also remember to subscribe that big button right there in your podcast player. You can't miss it. It's right there. And if you are somebody who is interested in finding the best quality supplements and nootropic products on the market today, head on over to holisticnootropics.com and download a copy of my free supplement buying guide. This is a fully comprehensive guide that will walk you through in ingredient by ingredient on how to find the best quality supplement and nootropic products that are on the market today. Because as my guest today probably knows, there is a lot of junk being sold out there on the market today. When you roll through an uh, like a Walmart or a CVS or your local grocery store and you see the supplements they're selling there, typically those supplements can be uh, possibly very low quality because they have a lot of added filler and preservative, preservative ingredients. Um, in a lot of instances, there's just people running these fly-by-night operations where they're kind of selling really cheaply made products and using a lot of marketing gimmicks to get those in front of you. And you're not getting the best quality stuff. Even on Amazon, it's hard to find really good stuff. So you want to know the ingredients to look out for, the stuff to keep your eyes open for so you can find only the best stuff on the market today. So head on over to holisticnootropics.com. You can get that guide for free. All right, let's start today's podcast with our guest, Dr. Tanisha Ward. Dr. Tanisha Ward is the founder of Infinity Wellness Center in Austin, Texas. She specializes in finding and correcting the core root cause of conditions like fatigue, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, and other medical mysteries. Dr. Tanisha, welcome to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast. Thank you so much. And you're absolutely right. You get what you pay for in supplements a lot of the times. And a lot of the stuff on the market, as you know, are... Um, they're not therapeutic doses, right? They're tiny micro doses that might move the needle if you already had a normal range. So yes, it is very important to know what you're getting. Um, yes. So I agree with you hundred percent on that. And thank you for the great intro. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree because that's why I put the, that's why I put the guide together because when you, what people have been trained to do, I, I feel like when you tell them, I think people are now better about reading labels. Like, I think that's kind of out there in the consciousness. Like, Hey, when you go shopping, we go to the grocery store, like read the label. And typically everyone's looking at that white part that says like the total fat, the, you know, the carbohydrates, the calorie, like we're all obsessed with calories, but then there's like this whole other section below and it can get kind of long, even in the supplements, you know, where it's like other ingredients. And then there's just a whole bunch of words. You can't even pronounce. You never heard of it. Sounds very chemistry ish. And if you can't read it, chances are you don't really don't want it. it in your, you don't need it. Can't read it. Don't need it. That's a t-shirt right there. Yeah, it is. So <laughs> hashtag. Yeah. So, and it's crazy because like what people don't understand is sometimes these, these, um, these labels also are actually like more scientific chemistry words for gluten, for sugar, yes. for, uh, you know, soy, for MSG, right? These things that you're, that we're sensitive to that people are freaking out about, you know, and you doing all this work to avoid all these things. And then you take a supplement and you still have these reactions. So, and I'm sure you probably see a lot of this in your practice dealing with like chronic fatigue and autoimmunity and these sorts of things. 
Absolutely. One, one that I see often is vitamin D in a lot of soybean oil mm. instead of something, you know, a, a better absorbable, cleaner oil. And it's like, well, you're probably not breaking down the soybean oil. So you're probably not actually getting the vitamin D much, if any, and it's a low dose. So yes, uh, on the same page with that, you got to know what you're getting. Yeah. And, and, the, and that's the thing is like people it's like, you know, uh, where I live, I'm in Puerto Rico. I have a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people here who have, uh, you know, a lot of expats that have moved down here trying to get, play the tax game. And, you know, a lot of them have supplement companies and you'd look at these people and you'd be like, you supplement health, not want to judge, but all right. And, you know, it's because it's, it's actually quite easy. If you just know a few people, you can get the manufacturing done. You know, so many of these supplements are all manufactured in the same place. And the, and the key is that these manufacturing houses, they'll keep your costs low because they're using filler ingredients, they're using preserved ingredients, they're using um, excipients, like ingredients they use to make the machinery work faster so they can get things out the door much faster. They can keep it encapsulated so it can stay on a shelf for a long time. And so you go buy that stuff. And then, yeah, like you said, it's got like, for instance, soybean oil. And if it's in a vitamin D supplement and you're trying to get 5,000 IUs or whatever, vitamin D, well, you might get that 5,000 IUs of vitamin D, but you're also getting a hefty dose of soybean oil, which is going to raise your omega-6 profile, give you all kinds of inflammation and yeah. What are we doing, Dr. Tanisha? That's the whole thing. That is why working with somebody who knows what they're doing, what they're talking about and guiding you, right? And even running labs. I don't know how many people are taking supplements they just don't even need because they think yeah. it's good or the marketing on the label is good, right? And they don't know if their levels are high or low and that's a problem. Right. Right. So let's, let's, let's jump into your story. So you are a um, functional medicine doctor out of Austin, Texas. Um, how, what, what is your, what is your origin story? Why don't you tell us like, how did you get into this? What brought you? Cause you're doing something different. You're, or at least it was different when you started, you're doing holistic medicine. So, you know, what brought you to holistic medicine and you've been in it for quite some time. Well, you know, what, what drew you to it back before it was cool? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I've been in practice 16 years. So I was doing, <laughs> I was doing functional medicine before functional medicine was a word. Um, and like a lot of practitioners, it's really my own personal health story and being let down by Western medicine over and over and tens of thousands of dollars into being ill that finally it was a holistic doctor that, that helped me. I literally woke up one day unable to move most of my joints in excruciating pain. The best way I could describe the pain was it felt like shards of glass scraping from the inside out of my hands, my knees, my ankles. I had to run my hands under warm water in the morning just to get them to bend. And this went on for almost a year undiagnosed. I should also mention I was 15 years old. Hmm. And so my mom was dragging me from doctor to doctor, trying to figure out what was wrong. They thought I had MS. They thought I had lupus. They thought I had, you know, you name it, rheumatoid arthritis. I ended up getting diagnosed at one point with idiopathic, which means we don't know what's causing it. Juvenile arthritis. Okay. Yep. I'm a kid and my joints hurt. <laughs> we don't know why. That's basically what they told me. Fortunately, my mom didn't accept that. She's like, this happened overnight. This is something. And you're really going to laugh. This was in the mid nineties. She went to the library. There was no Google searching. <laughs> you know, this is early, I think 1993, 94. So earlier nineties and took it upon herself and finally found a doctor that knew a little bit about Lyme disease. And she said, I think this could be what she has. Mm. And sure enough, ran the right tests. And we treated it with a whole more holistic functional approach like I use today. 
yes, we killed the bugs, but it was more about healing the body, healing the gut, getting the detox pathways open, getting all the stuff ready for the Lyme treatment. What I see in practice now is a lot of people just try to kill, like you can't kill your way to wellness. Mm -hmm. You have to, you know, rebuild the whole body. And I mean, I was 15 years old. I was living the standard American diet. Both my parents worked. I was going to Taco Bell. We had Lunchables for lunch. Like I had junk food. I got bit by a tick that was carrying this bug and it just attacked my poor inflamed already body. Mm. And I was just a good, perfect host kind of thing. So I completely at 15 years old, 16 at this point changed my diet was the girl that brought like, you know, turkey and pickles and vegetables and grapefruit (laughs) to lunch into, you know, sports practices and really just had to rebuild and heal my body myself with the guidance of this doctor. And, and that's how it started. Wow. That's Lyme is so interesting to me because I don't know anything about it. Like I hear it, it it's might be the number one disease that I hear about. And I literally know nothing about, it. I know, I don't know. I know it comes from ticks or it can come from ticks. Um, I've heard, a number of different ways that it presents, but can you talk a little bit about like specifically what Lyme is and, and what it's doing to the body? I would, I would love to. I think that it is an epidemic that is being completely ignored and brushed under the rug because it is hard to diagnose. I will say that. So let me take a step back. It is a, it is a, um, spirochy bacteria, meaning it's in a spiral and it is transmitted through ticks for sure. The CDC recognizes that we also believe, and I should also say doctors that know about Lyme, they call them an LL doctor, a Lyme literate doctor. And there's more and more that are coming to the surface that know about it, but many doctors don't know much. So it's a spirochy bacteria under a microscope. It can present like a virus. It can go dormant and come back up. It can have flare-ups. You can, you can think you've eradicated it and it just went dormant. So it, it presents and acts like a virus, but it attacks your body very much like a parasite would. It attacks the central nervous system. So it's also been nicknamed the great mimicker. It looks like MS. It can cross the blood-brain barrier and it can attack the brain and the brain's then attacking the bugs and it causes sclerosing and hardening. It can be a culprit for, for MS. It can burrow because it's a spirochete. It can also burrow and hide and spiral into joints and organs. Specifically, it really likes to hang out in hollow organs. So a lot of people with interstitial cystitis, which is your bladder, the internal tissue of the bladder is inflamed. We found through urine tests that Lyme disease is living in there. So it likes to hide, which makes it very hard to diagnose. Because when it, when it goes into these organs, when it goes into the joints, it can even hang out in the cerebral spinal fluid and, and go to the brain that way. It gets out of the bloodstream quickly. So the blood tests are only about 60% accurate. I mm-hmm. like to run a urine test. Also, I do a blood spot test from Vibrant America that's pretty good. Um, but we have patients go do a lymphatic drainage massage before. So we flare, we flush out, we flare up these bugs. And here's how I know someone's going to come back positive. I would bet my license on this. When they come back in and tell me, oh my gosh, doctor, I had that, I had that lymphatic drainage massage before my test. And I felt like I was hit by a truck. I couldn't get out of bed the next day. My joint pain flared, my migraines flared, my, you know, brain fog. So that that's the tricky part too. Backing up. I know they're going to have a positive test because we've just pissed off the bugs, but that's the tricky part is, is because it attacks the central nervous system. It can look different for different patients. And that's why it's really kind of a practitioner's nightmare. Um, when somebody comes in with things all over the place, 
I definitely think Lyme, but it can be joint pain. It can be fatigue. It can be brain fog. It can be forgetfulness. It can affect your thyroid. If it's sitting here in the neck in the nervous system, because it's going to affect all of the nerves. Um, I had one patient, her only symptom was seizures. She was in her mid, no, early 20s. She was a college student. And she came to me from somebody and asked to shadow me one day. And she had been diagnosed with epilepsy, but here's the tricky part. She'd been on over 10 different epilepsy drugs and none of them helped. And so she's, she's shadowing me and she's listening to this patient. And this patient had joint pain and fatigue and brain fog, but she also had seizures and she was describing her seizures. And and the, the gal shadowing me said, oh my gosh, that's what my seizures look like. And it's really just more of like a kind of a neurological shaking, not a full grand mal seizure. And sure enough, it was Lyme disease. So that had been missed for years and years because that was her only symptom. So it, it really is tricky, but I think the biggest things are typically chronic fatigue, some joint pain, um, chronic fatigue and, and some sort of muscular skeletal pain, which can be anything, mm-hmm. but, but kind of putting, we, we really have to do a very detailed timeline history and put together the timeline to really diagnose that. And a lot of people don't know that they got bit by ticks. I was mentioning that the CDC recognizes ticks, but we think mosquitoes and spiders can also transmit it. That has not been proven enough for the CDC to accept it. We also believe it can be sexually transmitted. And we know for a fact it can go from um, uterus to placenta. So it can be it can be transmitted in utero. Have you seen studies that that demonstrate sexual transmission? Not enough to say the CDC doesn't accept it. Mm-hmm. But, but there is there is evidence. There is evidence and there's a lot of clinical studies, not blind studies with it at all. So so we can't say that, but we believe that to be true. Because it seems like there is quite a bit of it out there that hasn't been diagnosed. Like you just look at people and they've, a lot of people are dealing with very similar symptoms that would sound a lot like Lyme. Um, But they, like you said, like they don't have a history of getting bit by a tick. You know, they, I've never been bit by a tick. I, I don't, think I have, but I, I hear that what, like the number ones, like the, the, the sign is like that, that target, um, bite bullseye mark rash. or whatever. The bullseye. Yeah. bullseye. Yep. So that has been proven that only 30 to 40% of cases present with a bullseye rash. I happen to have textbook bullseye rash. I still have pictures of it on actual film printed pictures. Cause that was before digital cameras, but, but that's, you can't even go by that because they believe what can happen is is the tick can bite and oftentimes it can happen in the hairline or the sock line or groin or places that you may not see it because it can bite, infect you and and detach before you get home and do a tick check. And it could maybe stay in the hair somewhere that you wouldn't necessarily find it or is it being transmitted another way? Because really the tick, the tick bite with the rash, you know, if it's coming through a spider or mosquito, that that's not usually the case. And we also believe now that the bugs are smart. They're really reading your DNA and seeing if you're a good enough host, because just because a tick has Lyme disease, you may not get Lyme disease. We've hmm. seen that to be true. I've seen patients who took a tick off them, sent it to the health department, had it tested. It had Lyme disease, but the patient never got it. So we don't know if they just weren't a good host. Did they fight it off? Like we, we don't know why some people are getting infected. Others aren't. The origin story of Lyme disease is in Lyme, Connecticut in the late seventies, early eighties, thousands of kids came down with juvenile arthritis and mm-hmm. they couldn't figure out who and what and why. And finally a doc, a doctor named, um, Dr. Bergdorferi, which is 
the name of the spirochete bacteria is Borrelia burgdorferi named and found this bacteria in all these kids. And they called it Lyme disease after Lyme, Connecticut. Now, I don't know if this is going too left, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's a book out there called Lab 257 or 251. I can see it. I think it's 257. They believe Lyme disease was made for chemical warfare. I, I don't know this to be true or not. I read the book. It's out there. There is an island called Plum Island that's across from Connecticut. Apparently, you can find it on Google Maps where they believe they were doing testing and they believe ticks got into the lab, carried it across on birds to deer to the mainland and Lyme, Connecticut is right directly across from this. And that's how it orig or originated in Lyme, Connecticut. I don't know that to be true. Mm. It's a book, it's out there. However, I have studied viruses, bacteria, fungus, parasite my entire adult life. This bug does not act like a typical bacteria. One round of antibiotics does not kill this bacteria. Mm -hmm. it, it hides, it goes dormant, it attacks like a parasite. It is a very peculiar bug. So it wow. definitely has a lot of our interests like, hmm, this isn't presenting and acting normal like it should. Okay. So once you're done looking into the whole Wuhan lab, lab leak theory, right. like move on to this one. If you are, if you're just going to start dedicating your life to lab leak theories, like get this book on your bookshelf. That's a great advertisement. Um, yeah. And Hey, I'm all about it. I actually kind of want to read this book now because yeah, it's good. actually, it's so, it's so cool that you said that because as you were talking, I was just sitting there thinking like, is Lyme a new thing? You no. know, I know it's not a new thing like now, but you never hear stories of like, from like the 1950s or the 1940s. Like all you hear about are like heart attacks, the beginnings of like epidemics of cancer, right? You know, some arthritis, but you never hear about these sorts of symptoms back totally. then, right? So totally. it's like, but there were ticks back then. You know, so like, where does this all, where does this all come from? Well, if you read the book, you will believe it comes from this lab because it's pretty startling. I remember reading this book and like putting it down, like, oh my gosh, if you really want to dive deep into it, there's a, a documentary called Under Our Skin. It used to be on Netflix. I've been told that you have to find it other places now. Um, probably YouTube still one of the doctors I trained under Dr. Klinghart is in it. And he talks about it being the great mimicker and also the big pull with insurance companies and why, um, doctors, medical doctors have gotten their license taken away for over treating Lyme patients because the insurance companies say 10 days of doxycycline, a round of antibiotics should kill it. And doctors are like, no, they get worse. when We take them off that we're putting them on two and three months of antibiotics. and then. The insurance companies are saying you're over-treating, you're getting charged. And they, there's a lot of, there's a doctor here in Texas that I know personally who got his license taken away for treating Lyme patients. And it's all about the money. And that, that documentary talks a lot about it under our skin. Um, also very interesting is, is I would also say that 80 to 90% of the patients who walk through my door with it, that have been slapped with a diagnosis of fibromyalgia and or chronic fatigue syndrome have Lyme disease. Mm. It's because, mm -hmm. you know, the body doesn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to make all of my nerves hurt for fibromyalgia, right? right. Or, I'm just going to stop making energy. You know, most there's always an underlying cause. I will stand by that statement. Often I find it to be Lyme disease. Wow. Oh man. That's so crazy because that's, that's the, what drives so much of so I'm in the nootropic space. I'm in kind of in the nootropic space. Like my whole thing is like, let's like you, like, let's find the root cause. Like 
Yes. The whole point of this channel is to figure out, okay, yes, you can use nootropics. You can use supplements. You can do all, yes. you can biohack, but none of that matters if you don't remove the root cause thing that's that brought you here to the first place. Like if you broke your arm, like let's say you jumped off your roof into your pool, you broke your leg, right? Yeah. Okay. So what do you do? You put a cast on it. Great. You might take some painkillers. Great. What is the number one thing you're not going to do? You're not going to jump off your roof again. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, hopefully. But hopefully, but that's what we do when we yeah. don't diagnose like root cause stuff. We're like, totally. well, let's load you up on all these medications. Let's give you the antidepressants, give you the anti-anxiety meds, you know, let's give you the pain meds, but people are still jumping off their roof every day into the pool and breaking 100%. their leg over and over and over again. I mean, that happened to me at 15. I was put on steroids, which we now know really piss off the Lyme bugs and flare them up. So I got worse. And then I was given, um, arthrit arthritis medicine, Celexa, and another one that had a class action lawsuit against it. So I was given, and then I was given, um, pain meds and then I was given antidepressants. It's like, well, I wasn't depressed until I was exhausted. <laughs> and then, right. you know, the antidepressants yeah. probably helped my mood, but I was still suffering from fatigue. None of it helped. They just kept trying to numb me. And so I wonder how many people have that same story, right? How many people have that same story? And then on top of that, it's like they, they're, they're on the antibiotics that, you know, that then go ahead and wipe out all their other good gut bacteria. So now their serotonin production is down. Their dopamine production is down. Gabacetylcholine, all of it is gone. You get it. <laughs> I get it. I've yes. had so many of these conversations like, um, yes. anti antibiotics has been, and now glyphosate too has yes. been like, are like my two number one and two things that Round like, up. yeah, I'm like, I don't look past that anymore. You know, like yeah. when people, I understand like for certain people, there are, there are cognitive deficits people have. Like, I don't mean to minimize that at all, Absolutely. even to some extent like ADHD. Right. But let's talk about the vast majority of people out there that are dealing with this stuff, you know, because that's what the, that's what I that's the world I live in. And I see it all the time. I see these conversations. And it's the first thing I want to ask people who are talking about antidepressants, anti-anxiety, anxiety medications, ADHD. When were you put on antibiotics? Because you were at some point, because if you've seen a doctor in the last 30 years, chances are they put you on antibiotics for something. Yep. A lot of times, you know, uh, you use Great Plain Labs. So Dr. William Shaw says it's it comes from an, the kids when they're two have an ear infection and then they get put on antibiotics. Yep. And then the whole, the whole cookie crumbles from there. Um, could be a lot of things. For me, it was like a chronic sore throat that yep. I, tonsillitis that I got. For a lot of people, it's a lot of different things. I will say, so I have a seven-year-old. Um, so I'm in my mid-40s. When I was a kid, everything was an antibiotic. Mm -hmm. You go in with a cough, with a sore throat, you, you got a cross eye, like it's an antibiotic, right? Everything. Now I will say, mo at least here in Austin, from what I've seen, and I should also say my child has never been on antibiotics. Thank God we use natural antimicrobials when needed and things like that. And her immune system's just really strong. So worked on gut health day one. But I will say here in Austin, I feel like most pediatricians are a little more conservative these days, a little more. Like, I feel like they're not quick to do it, which I feel like is just a small shift in the force right now <laughs> that they're not so yeah. quick to give it for, Oh, you have the flu. Here's an antibiotic. Well, <laughs> it's not going to kill a virus. Exactly. Antibiotics not going to kill a virus. I feel like in the last 10 years, just being in practice, also dealing with, we see a lot of kids for different things. I feel like that they have been 
a little more conscious of that. But you're absolutely right. I think that's what makes people susceptible to all the other bugs is their gut microbiome is completely tanked from being on antibiotics every two or three months for 10 years of their childhood. We're killing all the good microbes and they can't fight things like Lyme or Zika virus or whatever the next bug is, right? Mm -hmm. Because they don't have an immune system. Yeah. Yeah. So with Lyme, what is the gold standard test that, you know, cause you said what you do is you give them a, um, uh, a lymphatic drainage, yeah. uh, massage, um, to kind of stir everything up and then you give it to, what's the test that you do that kind of seals the deal. So I have three different tests in my office. I, my go-to would probably be um, the, the vibrant America tick 1.0. It's a blood spot test because it's about 90 to 95% accurate. Still not great. Even with a lymphatic drainage massage. Again, we call these bugs stealth pathogens. They hide. My next favorite is called DNA connections and it's a urine test and it's about 85 to 90% accurate. And that one, both of those, we do a, um, lymphatic drainage massage before. Hygienix, which is the CDC standard, is probably 75 to 80% accurate and probably three to four times the cost of the others, where I'm talking hundreds to thousands, mm -hmm. where these are four to 500. This one's probably two to 3,000. Mm -hmm. If you're running Lyme disease and all the other co-infections, which I'll get into that. But the CDC and if somebody's filing for disability, accept the Hygienix test. I don't know why yet they're not accepting these other more accurate tests. They're just not. So if somebody needs a file disability, they want the Igenix one because it's 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 the it's the most recognized, mm -hmm. not the most accurate. Now, if you're just going to principal labs or LabCorp, CPL, or any of these national labs, right, and you're just doing a typical Western blot blood test, it's about sixty to sixty-five percent accurate. So that's thousands and thousands of people in that forty to forty-five percent, right, or forty to thirty-five percent missed just miss. So people will come in and say, Oh no, you know, I've got chronic fatigue syndrome. I've got fibromyalgia. I've had patients in a wheelchair with Lyme disease, you know, brain fog. I can't think I'm lost when I get in my car driving. And they're like, but Lyme disease has been ruled out. So it's sometimes a hard convincing sale to say, well, they ran a crappy test. Mm -hmm. Let me get you to pay out of pocket for this one. That's going to be more accurate. And I I also am very conservative on, on functional labs. I don't run a lab unless I know it's going to change my course of action. Right. I have maybe one run one Lyme disease test that has come back negative in 16 years. Wow. And I don't even know if I was wrong. I think they could have been in the 5%, but we do all the things to try to get the most positive, right? They may have also had a heavy metal issue. I think they did have like a heavy metal toxicity. So maybe they were negative. So I'm pretty, I don't, I don't want to call it spidey senses or, you know, intuition. I think it's just clinical experience. And I've been in my own body with Lyme disease. So when somebody starts talking, I'm like, I, I feel this, I know what yeah. this is kind of thing. And when they start putting the puzzle pieces together and nothing makes sense. The other really interesting thing about Lyme is, um, they'll have a lot of meat, red meat allergy sensitivities. Mm. And we think this has something to do with maybe the ticks were on a deer. We don't really know exactly, but they'll develop a steak or red meat allergy where they have like a histamine reaction to red meat, like hives and crazy stuff. But that's another one that I'm like, Ooh, this has got to be lying. But I, I just, I've seen it enough that I have a pretty good idea when it's going to be positive. 
Interesting. Like we, have to write the, we have to run the right proper tests. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's good that like as a functional medicine doctor, you are uh, a little conservative with the functional medicine test because I know, I know that's like the biggest, the biggest knock on functional med doctors. I've been down that road myself where it's like, we're doing all of these tests and what do you, and you're still going to prescribe me the same supplements. You know, you're still going to give me your office uh, white labeled B vitamin complex and your adrenal support thing. Like they give yeah. everybody else. So, um, yeah, that's, that's good that especially an expensive test, you say, Hey, look, like, let's not run it unless, yeah. unless we're going to really treat it. Yeah. And, and that, and I think that comes from taking a really good timeline history and mm-hmm. list of symptoms, right? Like I'm not going to run everything under the sun. We're going to get real precise of, okay, you're having this, this makes sense. Let's run this. Um, and get, and really hone in on what's, what we're finding because Lyme and mold can look the same Lyme and chemical toxic. Like there's, that's why I said, it's a great mimicker. There's so many things that it could be. We just have to have those conversations to figure out what it actually is. But Lyme is tricky because it may not always have a tick bite to fall back on. Yeah. And I had a very similar conversation with, um, Dr. Jill Krista. I don't know if you know her. Um, she's out of Wisconsin, I believe. And she's, um, she's written about, um, mold. She's written a lot about mold. She talks a lot about mold. She's kind of one of the leading voices on mold, but she got into mold because she was dealing with patients who had Lyme and she had a lot of Lyme in her practice. She's a, um, uh, naturopathic doctor. And, she saw so many patients that had Lyme and then she started to realize that their Lyme, I forget if she said that they were exactly that the, the mold patients were being treated like they had Lyme or if the Lyme patients also had mold that was making it worse. I forget which one that is, but either way she got into mold because she was treating so many people with Lyme. I see a lot of that. And, and we don't know exactly the correlation. Is it that because you have Lyme, your immune system so pre- suppressed that you can't get rid of the mold? Um, or you've been exposed to mold. Now you're, you've become a good host for Lyme because your immune system's stressed from the mold. It could be either. It could be both. Both of those come back to some genetics. In mm-hmm. my experience in practice, we do a lot of nutrigenomics and genetic testing. I've found a couple that they have um, methylation issues, obviously, or you would get rid of that mold quicker, Right. But also there's an NOS2 gene that identifies and looks at bugs and get and puts them, you know, detoxes them quickly. And if somebody has a, a double snip in that gene, and I would say 90% of my Lyme patients do, because I run their genetics often, they, they can't get rid of infections as well. So they become a good host too. So I think, I think the two of those genetically and just your constitution set up for those that when you're exposed, you're not able to get rid of those very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's where the, that's where the, that's where the story takes another turn where you start to say, okay, you can do all this stuff, but then what are your genetics? You know, what is your MTHFR? What is your NOS2? What are all, what's your detox uh, capabilities? And um, I've had some interesting conversations about that stuff too, all the way down to diet. Like what, like you want to be a vegan. Okay. Do you have the genes to be a vegan? You know, do you have the genes to do keto? Um, Cause all of these things, all of these things matter. Yes, absolutely. And that's, and there, I believe there's no, it, there's no more personalized or customized medicine than looking at your genetics. And, and, you know, we can't change them at least maybe in my lifetime, probably not. They're as true as your hair and your eye color, but we can work with them. We can mm-hmm. lean into them. We can give you methylated bees. We can, you know, take you off refined sugar. We can take you off meat if you need to, like whatever, you know, and also I have patients that come in like, Hey, I'm doing, I'm doing the hit workouts and I'm not losing any weight and I'm gaining weight. And we look at their genes. Oh yeah. You should be doing Hatha yoga. <laughs> 
<laughs> kind right. of thing. You know, yeah. it just says that you should be doing low impact or whatever. And they're like, oh, which is an amazing date, a bunch of data to have on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny too. Cause, um, cause I was talking to this guy, uh, this guy, Kashif Khan, who runs the DNA company. And he was telling me that, um, he, they've found a gene that will tell you, yeah, yeah. Like if you should be doing endurance workouts, um, or like more like uh, resistance training and yes. the endurance workouts come from does, how does your body basically do oxidative stress, right? Like, are you very quick to make oxidative stress? And then does that then damage you know, your organs and your, you know, your blood vessels and these sorts of things. And there's people doing, um, like long distance running long distance, um, you know, endurance workouts that they, they make a lot more oxidative stress when they do that. So they're actually aging their body faster mm -hmm. by doing these sorts of workouts, um, and which, it's and they're constantly inflamed. Yeah. Yep. yep. You're totally right. Yep. Yeah. It, there, there's so much that you can learn about yourself and this is all biohacking really. You yep. kind of talk about, yeah, your intro, this is all really biohacking and information to just get your body to work better with you to live longer, longer and better quality, right? Like that matters more, I think. Yeah. So with Lyme, let's go back to that um, because yeah. it covers a lot of different bases that I'm, I'm really interested in with like the chronic fatigue, the inflammation, all that stuff. So, you know, we've got to the point where, okay, you've done the deep, you've done the lymphatic drainage massage, you've done the tests. And now you're seeing Lyme. So now how are you, obviously everybody's different. This is not medical advice. Please, you know, check with your own provider um, or Dr. Yeah. Tanisha can work with you virtually. Um, but what is like a general idea of how you start to start to help somebody recover, get rid of this, um, move on with their life? 99.999% of the time, we're going to start with gut health because you're here and we need to get you here to kill the bugs. But when we kill those bugs, there's something called die-off or a Herxheimer reaction named after Dr. Herxheimer. When these bugs are killed, they, they do two things. They need to be flushed out of the body and they let off a, a, a neurotoxin that really inflames you. It's kind of like a last screw you or, you know, and it mm. inflames your nervous system. And if your gut and your liver and your detox pathways aren't working properly, that just inflames you, makes you feel worse, causes joint pain, causes brain fog, all these toxins from these bugs are just floating around your system. So we have to start at square one. Like, are you eliminating properly? So 99.9% .9 of the time we do gut repair. So we have to build up the good bacteria in the gut. We have to figure out what foods are triggering you and, and literally just set the foundation with gut health. Then I typically roll into endocrine balancing and functioning. So, you know, adrenals, thyroid, sex hormones, all of that, make sure your energy is good. And I tell people, we're kind of getting you ready for battle. Is your energy strong enough to go into battle with these bugs? And then of course we look at the liver, bowel function, liver there. Um, we also look at balancing pH, lowering inflammation. So I'm also seeing it. it Lyme is the last thing we treat. Mm -hmm. If they have heavy metals, if they have mold toxicity, if they have Epstein-Barr virus, these are just off the top of my head, the biggest things that we see, we clear all of that out first. So it could be six or seven months. We'll do brain chemistry balancing, circadian rhythm, you know, adrenal balancing, it could be six to six or seven months before we even start killing the Lyme bugs. And I, I use a couple different antimicrobial brands. Um, Dr. Shoemaker is a big name in the Lyme world. He has a line. We use um, Nutramedics as a line. Biocidin is a line that we use. So this is where just clinical experience. Oh, I mentioned co-infections. 
So Borrelia burgdorferi is the main bacteria that is Lyme disease. There's also other what we call co-infections. One is called Bartonella, one is called Babesia, Auriclia. These are all other bacteria that can be transmitted through a tick, but they call them co-infections because they run with the Borrelia bug. So somebody might have three or four different bacteria that comes back in their Lyme test. And each of those have precise different herbs that kill them better. Mm. Cemento, cat's claw, banderol. These are all different herbs that we use. So really figuring out what bug you're dealing with is will tell me what herb we're doing. And then we kill them, but also we kill them and we use a lot of binders to, to take, you know, to bind to the die off. And we use things like glutathione and curcumin to flush a lot of it out. So we're killing, we're binding, we're detoxing all mm -hmm. at the same time. But again, if we go in to do that and you've got leaky gut and you, your liver enzymes are high and you're, you've got a fatty liver and it's congested, we're just going to cause a storm in your body and you're going to yeah. feel worse and it's not going to work. And this happens with antibiotics. People find out they have Lyme, they go the Western medicine route, they get put on antibiotics and it just, they gain weight, their guts even worse mm -hmm. and they feel worse and it's, it doesn't work. Yeah. And, and even with the, with, with the, um, like biocide and stuff, you know, where it's, Hey, we're going to, we're going to kill, um, we're going to bust biofilm, yeah. you know, we're going to break up in biofilm. It's like you said, if you're not eliminating these things, if your liver's not ready, if your gallbladder's not ready, if your gut's not ready, um, if you, if you're clogged up, if you're constipated, you're not eliminating, that's going to recirculate. You have an yeah. even bigger problem. And these people look puffy. They look sick. Their bellies distend. Their faces look big. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. People walk in and they're like, oh, I'm working with so-and-so here in town and we're killing Lyme. And I'm like, okay, you know, what'd you do to get there? And they're like, we just started killing Lyme. And I'm like, yeah, that's why you're here. And you feel bad because they didn't do the foundational work. And then you add something like methylation defects to all that, right? Like we got to make sure that pathway is working for you to even detox. So it's a complicated process of doing the right thing in the right order at the right time and getting a, taking a step back and looking at the whole picture of the body and what's our starting point for you. Most of the time it's gut repair because most people are doing the standard American diet, right? Or they're just so stressed. They come to us with ulcers. We have to heal that first. Kind mm -hmm. of yeah. What, what is your first go-to with like a gut repair type situation? I really like L-glutamine. But there is a gene, the GAD gene, where you don't convert um, L-glutamine to glutamine to GABA, the GAD gene. So those, those people get a little anxious on L-glutamine. So I really mm. like seeing somebody's genetics. I mean, anxious to where like they feel jittery and panicky. But I also use things like aloe vera, slippery elm bark. Um, of course, I do like to run a GI map test to see if there are any bugs we need to kill. But what I love most about that test is it precisely tells us the levels of the good bacteria. So instead of just taking a broad spectrum probiotic, we can get real precise and say, oh, we need you know, this strain of lactobacillus. Let's find you a probiotic with this and let's get a soil-based one or one that will re-implant kind of thing. So really building up the gut is probably you know, probiotics, enzymes, of course, help, but really just healing and sealing that gut lining. Yeah. L-glutamine is my favorite, but it's not for everybody. Right. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause you know, you, you hear a lot of this, like we got to heal the gut, heal the gut. And there's a lot of heal the gut products out there. Um, even the probiotic market is a little saturated in my opinion. Um, yeah. and even the good probiotics, there's a lot of stuff out there. It's like, it's like, there's so many, 
strains of bacteria in the gut and we've barely even scratched the surface. It's like, they're taking like a couple of the ones that we know of and we're saying, Hey, you know, these are good that we've studied are good, but then you're taking them. And then what are they, how, how are they moving the needle? Right? Like, are they even populating down there? Are they even making a difference? Um, Are they even the ones you need? Right. Even the ones you need, right. The personalized medicine aspect of it. Yeah. And then you need a prebiotic, right. To feed those probiotics. Some people do some people, that's another gene. There's an FUT2 gene where you don't actually hold probiotics in your gut lining. So you need to be on a probiotic every day because you're not going to build it up. And then of course diet, right. Of course diet. Now that gets tricky too. It's so complicated, right. To just put somebody on a low inflammatory diet and tell them to eat a lot of like kombucha and sauerkraut and things like that. But if they have a gene where they're sensitive to histamine foods, those foods are actually going to inflame them a little bit. Yeah. Your gut lining. So it's yeah. that's why it's not one size fits all in functional medicine ever. Because yeah, I've had people come in and say, you know, I was healing my gut. I'm doing all the sauerkraut, all the kimchi, and I feel bad. Like I'm bloated. I'm gassy. I look bad. I look puffy and it, and I run their genetics and they have its AO1C3 gene where they, they can't break down histamine properly. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? We need to take them off high histamine producing foods, which happen to be, you know, fermented foods that are high in probiotics. So it's, yeah, yeah it's hard. And so then we have to, there are probiotics that are low histamine. Like we can work with that, but um, yeah, we need to know that stuff. And bone broth is high histamine too. You're right. And that's yeah. like the big thing. Everyone says, I always kill your gut with bone broth, unless, you know, you're sensitive to the histamines. Yeah. Yep. I've absolutely had people go on like a bone broth fast or buy the bone broth protein collagen. And they're like, Oh man, this is making me gassy and bloated and I feel awful and I've gained weight and it's all inflammation. Mm-hmm. Of, yeah. Of, I mean, you're not breaking down it. I know it's so complicated. It's so complicated. <laughs> this is like the thing that, and this is again, like why I'm, why I wanted to get into this space. It wasn't because I want to say the same thing that everybody's like, obviously there's like just this whole list of foods and supplements, obviously that you could take, that you can do that. You could do all the right stuff and you could still feel awful. <laughs> you know, I've been down that road myself. Believe me, like my health problems didn't start until I got, became, got into health and wellness, you know, <laughs> cause I did all the wrong things. And that, and that's why we do what we do in functional medicine. Right. And, and that's why we study what we study is so that we can help guide people. If this, you know, sounds like something people are suffering with, you just have to know, you have to do the testing. You can't just guess it's not one size fits all. You have to really know what your starting point is, what your ailments are, what we're going after, what we're fixing. I, I say this all the time and it's complicated, but I'm going to simplify it. It is as simple as giving your body what it needs, what it's either unable to make genetically or what it's deficient in, and then taking away what you have excess of. And the body wants to be in homeostasis. It wants to balance. If we just give it what it needs and take away what it doesn't, that's a big ask though, because now we're talking about takeaway toxins in the air and pesticides and, you know, take away all the stuff that stresses our system isn't all that realistic. So we really have to find out what's what's triggering you. Right. Because we have to still live in this... I say this all the time too. We've created a toxic world that we can't survive in. Right. We we created that. And so now we have to try to live and thrive in this toxic world. Yeah. And and at the end of the day, you need the roadmap. You need the roadmap for you. You can't do like what the person you're following on Instagram does, you know? Yeah. Like you can get that idea and you can look into that and you can say, wow, that sounds like a great thing. I've never heard of, never tried 
I'm wondering what that is. I'd love to learn more about it. But at the end of the day, you, you have to, you have to not guess. You have to know exactly where you're starting from. You need to know your own history. And like the simplest thing you could do is just keep track of what you take in throughout the day, how you feel throughout the day, what's going on with your body throughout the day. Like the moment you become conscious, like consciously aware of what's going on with you throughout the day, then you be, then you can become more, then you can start to go down the road you need. Right. And it's, instead of saying I'm depressed. Okay. When are you, are you depressed all day? Are you depressed in the morning? Are you depressed in the afternoon? Where does that come from? Is there, cause then you start to put together like, Oh, I'm depressed after I have my afternoon peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Ah, okay. Well now the story kind of changes a little bit. Right. So now we can make actionable plans on like what to do. And like, I'm working from a very basic sub, like go work with somebody like you who can run these tests and has, you know, 16 years of experience working with specific Lyme patients. And I'm so happy we went so deep on the Lyme issue because (laughs) that does cover so many of the basis of like people who are listening to this now, because I see them because they join my Facebook group. And I ask like, Hey, what's your biggest health challenge? And a lot of it is chronic fatigue, autoimmunity, um, pain, sore joints, you know, brain fog. I see brain fog all the time, depression, anxiety, and that all fits into this one lime bucket, right? Um, That, like you said, might not even come from a tick. So you don't even know like where you're even starting from. So if that's you, you can, you can kind of start there and you can start to even make your way down that path. Let me give your listeners one little tip. Um, If you're suspecting Lyme, there is a lab test that you can run. It is not a positive Lyme test. It is called a CD57 protein. And it goes low in a couple cases. We used to only think it goes low in um, HIV, which you'd have a whole different set of symptoms, right? Flu-like symptoms in bed, weight loss, sweating, very much flu-like, or Lyme disease. We now know it's really an immune. It's telling us that the the immune system is very stressed and there's some infection that's winning against your immune system, essentially what it tells us. The third thing we see it positive in often now is post-COVID syndrome. I'm seeing a lot of post-COVID syndrome, but it's a $60 test through LabCorp. If it's low, the reference range is 85 to 300. We really like to see it functionally above 60. So if it's lower than 60, and again, it's a 50 or $60 test. I run that as a precursor. If it's lower than 85 and and, and the Lyme disease matches, I get the patient to spend the money on Lyme disease. The test. I really am thinking Lyme disease. If it's below 60, and unless you're suffering from post-COVID syndrome in that moment, hands down, it's gonna be Lyme disease if it's below 60. I've never seen that not come back correlated. So that may be a really good start for people who are suffering from all these things. Go get a CD57 run. It's a little tricky to get your doctor to run it because most of them probably won't know what the hell it is. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have mm-hmm. to ask for it. Mm-hmm. Hey, I know this can help me figure out chronic illnesses. Can I run a CD57? And if it's low, lower than 60, find a Lyme literate doctor and get the right Lyme testing run. If you're suffering from this whole cascade of fatigue, brain fog, you know, joint pain, the whole thing, muscle weakness, all of it. Is there a good database um, of Lyme literate doctors somewhere? There is a conference called in an in a organization called ILADS, I-L-A-D-S, and it's a conference that is educating practitioners on Lyme disease. They have a pretty good database, but it's not everybody. You have to mm-hmm. kind of 
probably honestly a lot of Lyme doctors because so many doctors have have had trouble with their their state boards kind of fly under the radar a little bit in treating Lyme. Interesting. So you mm. kind of have to find a good one that you know because because a lot of them also that advertise a lot of Lyme treatment some of it's a cookie cutter take these herbs, right? And they didn't do the groundwork that I mentioned with the gut and the liver and all of that. Right. Some, of them do, some of them do, but a lot of them are just going in for the kill. And again, you can't kill your way to well. Yeah. Mm, that's a great, that's a great title for the podcast. It's a great place to <laughs> put a bow on this. I, I I would love to talk to you more about like long COVID and stuff like that. We still yeah. got the time, but um, Let's yeah, we got to do it again because um, man, we only spoke about Lyme. This is the most in-depth conversation I've had about Lyme and coming in, I knew nothing about Lyme. Now I'm like, you know, I'm ready to dive in and go down some rabbit holes into um, understanding Lyme better. But um, Dr. Tanisha, this was awesome. If anybody uh, listening to this or watching this would like to learn more about you, work with you, where should they go online? Yeah, I have two websites. My personal website is drtaniciawards.com, T-E-N-E-S-H-A, wards with an S. Also my clinic, and I have two practitioners that work with me, um, is Infinity Wellness Center. And that website is Austin Holistic Doctor, Austin Holistic DR. Um, I've had that domain when holistic was the word. Now it's more functional, but Austin Holistic Doctor. Awesome. And, and same with all the social. We're, we're Infinity Wellness ATEX, which is Austin, Texas abbreviated. So Infinity Wellness ATEX. Okay. I'll be sure to put all that in the show notes and in, in all the descriptions. So people who listen to this, want to work with you, they can find you very easily. So yeah. um, Dr. Tanisha, thank you so much for joining us today on the Holistic Nootropics Podcast. Listener, viewer, if you enjoyed what you watched, listen to, remember to subscribe, hit that little like button just below the video. If you're listening to the audio, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave the podcast a five-star review. And for all things Holistic Nootropics, head on over to holisticnootropics.com. Until next time, everybody, take care of each other. Peace. Thanks for listening. For more brain-boosting info, in-depth articles, and show notes, check out holisticnootropics.com.